0: This episode is brought to you by my template shop on Etsy. That's right. I heard your feedback a couple months back and opened up a template store for all you Etsy lovers, and I have been blown away by the feedback so far. While all of my templates and bundles listed are already included inside my Playmaker Society monthly membership, now you have the option of purchasing these resources a la carte as you need them, which is perfect if you're not quite ready to jump in and join our Playmaker community quite yet. These templates and trainings start at just $7, are professionally developed and proven to work, and can save you hundreds of hours and dollars because, like you've probably heard a million times, there is no need to reinvent the wheel, especially when I have already created highly effective operations documents and templates and optimized them over the years to be exactly what you need in your business exactly when you need them. Head to the show notes to browse my a la carte templates on Etsy, starting at just $7 right now. If you're in the play and party business and you want to operate with more ease and joy, all while making the living you dreamed of, I created the Profitable Play Podcast just for you. Join me, your host, Michelle Caruana, for small but mighty tips Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays that will all add up to a big impact on your mindset, your business, and your bottom line. Stick with me to keep the passion and grow the profit in your play or party-based business. All right, playmakers. So welcome to part three of this three-part episode series, all about licensing and franchising and expanding your successful indoor playground or play cafe business. So as I mentioned in the first two episodes in this series, In this final episode, I want to talk about the four biggest mistakes that I personally made with our indoor playground licensing agreement. So you can hopefully avoid these very expensive mistakes in the future. And these tips will be relevant whether you're leaning towards franchising or licensing, even though we ended up going the licensing route because of all those reasons that I mentioned in part one of this episode series. All right, so just in case you're not in Playmaker Society, and you don't have all of this insight already, and you didn't have that same backstage pass as all of this was unfolding several years ago, again, just in case you're not in Playmaker Society, I wanted to start with a little background and context. So at this point in our business, when we decided to expand, we were about two and a half to three years in, and we were bursting at the seams. So As a lot of you probably know, our first year in business was pretty difficult and we really didn't prepare ourselves enough for the cyclical nature of open play and just how seasonal open play traffic can be, especially when you live in an area like New York that has really mild weather in the summer and those few months of the year, people really just want to be outside. So again, two, two and a half years in, We had finally broken through to that place through marketing and messaging where every single day we were at capacity. All of our events and classes and camps were booking out pretty easily. And we were booked up at least three months in advance for parties. So, again, after that first year in business, we had completely turned our business on its head. We changed our focus, we really prioritized recurring and high ticket revenue. We completely changed all of our offers and our pricing. We hired a manager. We really figured things out. And while it took a lot of time, again, we were in a really good place at this time. And we had actually started offering different party options to start expanding our reach before starting to look at multiple locations. So for example, we were now allowing people to do parties to go where you know, if somebody wanted to book a party, but... Either they couldn't afford our party packages or they just weren't willing to pay for them. Or if our venue was already booked at the time and date that they were looking to book their party at, they could actually come and pick up a quote unquote party to go where we would provide balloon decorations and favors and activities and decor and things like that. So we were already doing those party to go options. And we were also doing mobile events where we were actually going to off-site locations and again, doing activities, providing decor, doing balloon art, whether it was at a client's home or at a lodge or another venue that didn't provide those services or maybe at a park pavilion or things like that. So we were already you know, expanding our reach beyond our physical location, and we were still booked months and months in advance. And while competitors and quote unquote, and I wish you could see me right now because I'm doing air quotes, but quote unquote, copycats seem to be popping up left and right. And I put that in air quotes because I don't think they were intentional copycats, but they were definitely very similar businesses. But despite this, I still felt confident that we were offering something unique and special enough to continue to differentiate ourselves amongst them even if we decided to open up another location. So we searched for a space on our own for several months, but I'll be honest with you, I had a toddler and an infant with special needs that required a lot of extra medical appointments and care. And my husband was traveling a ton at the time. This was right before he ended up leaving his job to come work with me full time. And I was pretty much the sole caregiver responsible for getting him to all of these appointments and therapies and things like that, again, with my toddler in tow. And while I knew that we could expand our reach and profits with another location, again, to be honest, I was just not really willing or capable at the time to do it all myself. And we did not live close to any family. We had just moved to the area, so we didn't have a support network or friends or even neighbors that we were really close to that we could lean on, again, For additional support or childcare when we needed it. So that's when a local mom who happened to be a regular customer at our original location reached out to me and she shared that she and her husband had also been looking to open up a play space and she was looking for some advice and she wanted to buy some consulting time because again, this was back in 2017. This was when I first started offering one-on-one consultations because again, people were starting to see that our business was really successful. And this is when I started developing Play Cafe Academy and Playmaker Society. So that's why she ended up reaching out to me at the beginning. She wasn't necessarily reaching out to me because she was interested in licensing. It just kind of came about organically. And after speaking with her, I was so excited because her vision was really similar to what we already had at our play space And their values seem to align with our own. So after discussing, she and her husband decided to entertain the idea of opening a licensed location of our play space, again, under our brand and utilizing our intellectual property. And she was really motivated by her own very busy life. She had four kids, one of whom was also going through some really serious health issues at the time. And while she wanted to serve her community in this way and create wealth and a legacy for her family and a business that she could involve her family in, it just did not appeal to her at the time to start completely from scratch with no brand recognition, no customer base or list or things like that. Again, especially when there was a really tough competitive landscape in our area. So after much negotiation and having our business and financial reports and tax returns evaluated and really combed through you know with a fine tooth comb we finally signed a licensing agreement which you have access to if you're in playmaker society to use as a starting off point or as a template if you wish and they got started with their process and this ended up being an absolute dream for me because We actually added a clause in the contract that they would work to take over our original location around the end or conclusion of our lease, something I already had in mind that I wanted to do because by the end of our lease, both of my kiddos would have been aged out of our play area. And I just knew that, you know, being really honest with myself, while I absolutely loved the five years of running our space. I knew, again, I knew even a couple years in that I was going to be ready for the next chapter when my kids were no longer able to or were no longer interested in coming to work with me. So I was really excited that I would be able to help this family build, again, this legacy and build these assets for themselves while also allowing myself that perfect transition that I was already seeking and looking for when I was ready. Again, two years in, I was not ready to give up day-to-day operations, but looking forward, again, I knew that in a couple years when my kids were no longer interested or able to play and have their own birthday parties at the space, I knew that I'd be ready for something else. And it was even more perfect because they lived just down the road from the town we were already seeking to open in, and she knew the area and the people really well. And Her husband had established himself as a successful restaurant manager in that community, so I felt really good that I made the perfect, most ideal choice when it came to who would be expanding my business alongside me. And like I said, this was a very regular customer. She brought in her four kids all the time when, and excuse me, she was never anything but amazing. So one time, again, I just want to share a little anecdote that just goes to show how comfortable I was with this person and how confident I was that I made the right choice. But So one time when I was working alone with my very heavy infant due to an employee calling in, I had forgotten my baby carrier, and that was the only way that I could successfully serve customers and parent the clingiest, heaviest baby ever at the same time. So I ended up posting in our local mom's Facebook group. I think it was like a baby-wearing specific group, and she ended up seeing the post. Again, this was before we ever talked about licensing or consulting or anything like that. And she ended up driving like 20 minutes or so with all of her kids in tow to bring me her baby carrier. And let me tell you, in that specific instance, she was nothing short of my guardian angel. So again, we had a lot of experience and positive rapport with this family before we ever started discussing a business relationship. So the next few steps happened pretty quickly. And by the way, I want to preface this episode and the whole discussion about the mistakes by saying that this episode is not and will not be me doing anything except accepting blame for my own actions. I truly still to this day have not one bad thing to say about the family that we entered this agreement with. And even though, spoiler alert, the location ended up closing down unceremoniously during COVID, again, none of the fault that I will be discussing in this episode can be pushed onto them. These mistakes were 100% my own. And since I'm only in control of my own actions, that's what I'm going to be talking about today and that's the perspective this episode is going to take. So I just wanted to get this out of the way at the beginning. And to be honest, again this is probably the hardest thing to talk about when I look back on my entire indoor playground ownership journey. I still feel a lot of regret and guilt around this topic in particular, so bear with me as I try to get through this. So Without further ado, and again, keeping all of that in mind, I'm going to share my four major mistakes that I made throughout this process that led in part to our license location failing. All right, number one, we had an overly simplified licensing agreement. So the first thing I did when this family decided that they were interested in opening up a license location was hire a lawyer. And luckily, the firm that we had been working with on an on and off basis since the beginning of our business journey had an attorney on their team who specialized in licensing and franchising. And that's something that I would definitely recommend looking for when you go through this process. And again, no shade or fault to this attorney either. This one is all on me. When I asked him to put together a licensing agreement, He used a really basic and simplified version. And again, that's why when I shared this template with my Playmaker Society members, I actually included an additional training about what I'd recommend adding to that base template to make it much more robust and specific. So again, they can avoid this mistake in particular. So while it outlined the initial and ongoing fees and the responsibilities of both the licensee and the licensor who was me in this scenario, it really lacked in a few specific areas. So again, the first area was that our licensing agreement really lacked build-out requirements. So we didn't put in any specific stipulations around the build-out process to ensure a consistent vibe and customer experience across locations. So when we were discussing the build-out process and sharing all of our costs and numbers, we did discuss what they envisioned for their space and we were in total agreement. So I felt really confident and that's why I didn't put some of these specific stipulations into place, like in the actual legal document, because they seemed to really understand, again, the costs associated with a build-out. But what I didn't know at the time was that they were very sure that they could slash their build-out costs from what we had prepared them to anticipate by doing a lot of the work themselves and hiring friends. And again, more on that in a moment. But our licensing agreement had, again, number one, no specifications around materials or vendors. So I wish that we would have put requirements around Really specific things. Like, for example, we didn't require what type of flooring they would have in their space. So, we did make suggestions and we shared our experience and how much we loved our floors because they had that really elegant look and feel, which matched our, you know, premier price point and things like that. But we did not put in writing what material needed to be used. And what ended up happening is this, you know, this licensee ended up choosing the absolute cheapest carpet possible. So it was just this black, very tough, very commercial looking carpet. And again, it was black. And our entire brand was built around light and airy colors and vibrant colors. So having this black, very cheap looking carpet was definitely a mismatch when it came to our first location and just the overall brand that we were hoping to share with our customers. So we did have some requirements in that licensing agreement around paint colors and branding to be used, but again, no specific guidance around actual execution. So that was a big mistake, and I really, really regret that. And then number two, we didn't have any specifications regarding layout. So again, we did our best to give our recommendations and we shared what worked and what we wish we would have changed about our first location, but we kind of let them spearhead this process because after all, it was going to be their names on the lease. So we wanted to allow them that creative freedom to really make this space feel like their own. But again, this kind of led to some really serious problems in the layout of their location that, again, as an experienced owner, I told them that it was really going to handicap them and put restrictions on the amount of revenue they'd be able to make and the prices that they'd be able to charge. So again, I share all of this in great detail in Playmaker Society, but just to give you a specific example of how the layout really compromised the amount of revenue they were willing or they were able to make with their business, one example is that their only bathroom in their entire facility ended up being located in their private party room. So one of the biggest, you know, points of success that their business was going to hinge on was being able to remain open for open play during parties. So again, just to give you a little bit of background, our first location was in a very affluent area. We were able to do private parties because in that area, we were able to charge a price high enough to, again, make it possible for us to do private parties. Now, in this second location, in this area that the second location opened in, it was about 30 to 40 minutes away, and it was definitely definitely a different area in terms of income level and what people were willing to pay for parties. So for the second location, again, we still wanted to be consistent in terms of look and feel and vibe, but we definitely also wanted to offer party packages that were more in line with what people were willing to pay in that area. And one of the ways that we were planning on executing this was, again, allowing people to book parties and execute parties while we were open for open play. So again, they would have access to a private party room, but they were able to pay a little bit less for the party because, again, that that second location would still be able to operate open play and therefore have multiple streams of revenue and charge less for their parties. But having the only party in the facility located in the private party room, that made it such that people that were visiting the space for open play had to go in and out of that private party room the entire slot. So this was really no longer a private party room. It was no longer a private classroom. So not only did it, again, impact our ability to execute private parties or at least a private party room, it also led to a lot of issues when it came to camps and drop-off activities and things like that. Because we had to tell parents, hey, adults and members of the public are going to be in and out of this room the entire time your son or daughter is going to be in this class and it's going to be distracting or during camp or you know something like that. So again, this was something that I would have never allowed as an owner, but because we gave them this creative freedom to design their layout as they saw fit. This happened, and this was a huge issue. And again, it really led to their parties not booking as successfully as we wanted them to or expected them to, and it led to a ton of customer complaints and people not really feeling comfortable dropping their kids off and things like that. So again, that's just one example of how the layout at that second location really impacted their ability to reach profitability. And then next, there was no specified level of involvement or any specific approval process needed by me, the licensor, when it came to this layout. So again, while I did my best to make recommendations, I didn't need to sign off on anything. And I really wished I would have put an approval plan in place just to put, again, some sort of checks and balance system to prevent any of these major mistakes from being made. And then finally, there was no plan for ongoing maintenance or cleaning. So they were kind of on their own when it came to keeping the exterior of their space looking nice, implementing their own cleaning procedures and opening task lists and closing task lists. Again, one of the reasons that they were highly motivated to enter a licensing agreement was that they would have the ability to figure this out on their own. And again, as somebody who was very experienced in restaurant management, I felt comfortable giving them this latitude. But Again, looking back, I wish that I would have been more strict and I wish I would have put more safeguards in place and standard operating procedures and business requirements that they had to follow. Because again, this led to a lot of corners being cut, a lot of discrepancies between customer experience and cleanliness between one location and the next. And it just led to a big divide on social media and in reviews and ratings and things like that between the two locations. So That led to not only their reputation being impacted, but our reputation being impacted as well. All right, this brings me to the second mistake that I made with our licensing agreement, and that's that our licensing agreement lacked support specifics as well. So while our overall responsibilities as licensee and licensor licensor were detailed in our agreement, there was not nearly enough language around how each of us would actually fill our roles. So for example, our agreement included a quarterly fee to be paid by the licensee in exchange for us taking care of, again, us, I'm talking about the licensor. So we were going to be paid a quarterly fee so that we would take care of website management because my husband is a website designer, organic social media support, email marketing assistance, advertising, And again, that was because that was really my wheelhouse. That was my area of expertise. And that was really the secret sauce that allowed us to be so successful with that first location. So I was more than happy to kind of come up with this hybrid type agreement where, yes, we were giving them a lot of creative freedom as a licensed location, but we were still offering that hands-on support in exchange for that quarterly fee, because it was in my best interest to make sure that they were successful, which I'm going to be talking about in a minute. But what we didn't mention in this licensing agreement was how often these website changes could be made. So again, there was no cap, there was no scope, there was no boundary there. There was nothing in the licensing agreement about what tools we'd use to post or where we'd get the content. And how often we would need to expect content from them in order to support them on social media and help them grow. There was nothing about how often we'd be sending emails and what would be included and where we would get the email content from. And finally, there was nothing about how much we would spend on advertising and what their expectation should be surrounding results. So how many bookings they could expect from advertising, things that they needed to have in place like online booking and things like that in order to make those advertisements successful, all that good stuff. So if I could go back and redo our agreement, I would instead, number one, provide more social media branding guidelines and templates instead of direct support. So I would put less burden on myself as the licensor in terms of actually executing their marketing strategy. Again, instead, I would provide them with templates and training so that they could feel empowered to reach success on their own. Because again, I was kind of relying on them to send me pictures, send me videos, send me things to send out in emails, pictures to post on social media. But instead, I was finding myself or our manager taking frequent trips and it was 40 minutes. So again, it was no easy feat either paying someone to do this or lugging my two kids, again, one who had special needs out to that second location. So again, I was finding myself either constantly pestering them to send me content to post or content to email out or, you know, an up-to-date class schedule or a plan for the next month's events or things like that. Again, I wish I would have put that burden on them and instead gave them the training and tools they needed to do it themselves. And again, some things I would have included in that training include content types that have been most successful for us. I would have given them time-saving tricks because again, a lot of the excuse I hear from indoor playground owners around why they don't have a strategic marketing plan in place is that it's time consuming. So I wish I would have given them the time-saving tricks that I had developed in my own experience. And I wish that there would have been some sort of consistency requirement, or standard practice when it came to advertising themselves on social media. And I would have set a specific plan in place for execution. So number one, I would have set a clear scope and boundaries to avoid us, the licensor, doing too much or too little. Again, when it came to updating their website or supporting them in terms of advertising, I would have also assigned a point person to review and ensure that the required responsibilities were being take up, taken care of by both us, the licensor, and them, the licensee. And this isn't just to make sure they're successful, but it's also for legal reasons. I mean, thank goodness we were never sued or entered into any sort of litigation. Again, that was mostly our decision, um, which again, we'll talk about in a few minutes. But if there ever comes a time where your licensee or franchisee is saying that, you as the licensor or franchisor isn't holding up your end of the agreement, you wanna make sure that you have documented as much as possible so that if it ever does end up going to litigation or going into small claims court, you have a point person who has, again, taken notes, documented things, provided timestamps so that you can easily say, you know what? This is incorrect. We actually did this on this day and this on this day and time so that, again, you have this to document, and make a case if this ever gets to that point. And then finally, I would have put a plan in place if the licensee did not pay the quarterly fee. And this actually ended up happening. So again, for all of the reasons, plus many more that I didn't mention, they weren't making as much money as they thought they were going to or that we were making at that original location. And that led to them not ever paying, not even one single time the quarterly fee that was in their contract, but we were still highly motivated on our end for them to succeed. However, we just could not fulfill our role to the best of our ability without receiving the extra funds. So the social media scheduling tools and website management tools and hosting fees and all that stuff costs money. So this was a huge mistake on my part. And I continued to hold up my end of the deal and I wasn't getting anything in return. So I was spending hours and hours and hours a month and a quarter. And I was spending all this money on tools to provide them with this advertising and marketing support. And they kind of just seemed to, again, take advantage of that. But again, that's no fault to them. That's because I wasn't really enforcing it because I really wanted them to reach success. I really wanted them to be successful so that I could expand to multiple license locations, right? They were kind of my guinea pig, and I felt very much responsible more so than I probably should have in this area. So again, that led to me failing to set my own boundaries. and I was not about to take them to small claims court with a you know, child that was going through a lot of health issues at the time. I was not going to put them through that. And again, I just really wanted them to succeed. So, Big mistake on my part because, again, I kept telling myself, oh, maybe next month they'll catch up or maybe next quarter they'll pay their you know outstanding balance. And again, years later, it never happened. And so, again, that led to a lot of issues, which I'm going to talk about in a moment. But our licensing agreement also lacked guidance around business changes and consistency amongst locations. And I know back in episode 173, I mentioned that increased flexibility and autonomy was one of the main factors that motivate people to open license locations instead of a franchise location. But this family ended up being kind of all over the map when it came to business changes. And again, to their credit, they were just trying to do their best to be profitable and be successful. And they were doing all of the things to be agile and listen to their customers. So Again, no fault to them. I should have had much more guidance in our contract around this area, but this, again, licensee owner was constantly running sales and flash promotions and not specifying which location it was for, and she would change her prices every other day, and she was rapid fire changing what was included in her party packages and in memberships, and It just seemed like a disorganized mess from the outside looking in. And people were constantly calling our location, hoping to have those sales honored, again, because she wasn't specifying, you know, available at this one specific location only. And everything was kind of half-baked, right? Nothing was really thought through because, again, she was just frantically doing her best to survive. And while we were supporting them on the social media side, It was also very common for them to just find a random graphic or photo online and throw it up on their Instagram or Facebook without much thought or strategy. And these were often completely off brand. They were often stolen from other pages, or maybe it was like a watermarked graphic that they were using without permission or something like that. And again, it not only impacted their brand cohesiveness, but it also impacted our brand reputation as well. And while in a perfect world, we'd like to hope our customers understand that license locations are independently operated. Like I said, this definitely deeply affected us in terms of reputation and customer word of mouth. And people started to distrust our original location, even though we had absolutely, again, nothing to do with their operations at that second location. So again, I should have done A much better job to really prevent this from happening. And I also should have done a better job in terms of customer education to let people know hey, you know, things that happen on this Facebook page or Instagram account are completely independent of what's happening over on our feed. So, again, if I could go back, I would have done that and, you know, navigated that process a lot differently. All right. The third big mistake that I made was our licensing agreement was difficult to enforce. So as I kind of have been alluding to, there were many, many, many breaches in our agreement on behalf of the licensee. But there wasn't much I could really like realistically do about it as the licensor because of the terms that I myself had signed and put into place. So again, I'm putting this burden solely on my shoulders. And You might be listening to this and screaming at me right now because you're probably thinking, Michelle, stand up for yourself. If someone is in breach of contract, you cannot allow that. And you're probably also thinking that I talk about boundaries and standing firm in your policies and procedures all the time on this podcast and on my YouTube channel. And yeah, you're absolutely right. If everything were black and white in the real world, Holding them in contract violation would certainly have been the easy and clear answer to all of these issues and all of these breaches in contract. But in reality, it's so far from a black and white scenario. Not only were they going through extreme health challenges with one of their children, which obviously made me feel extremely generous and compassionate towards them more so than I probably would have in a different situation like I said, it was also very much in my best interest to see them succeed so that we could motivate people to open more licensed locations in the future and so they could eventually take over our original location as planned. So in a licensing agreement, there are typically four ways to handle contract violations. Number one, litigation. And this was kind of what we went with along with the second option. So If the licensee violates the licensing contract, which, again, in this case, they did many times, the licensor can take legal action to enforce the contract terms. This involves taking the matter to court and suing the licensee for breach of contract. The second option is negotiation. So if a licensee is found to be in breach of the licensing contract, the licensor may choose to engage in negotiations to resolve the issue. This could involve negotiating the terms of the agreement or agreeing on a settlement amount to resolve the dispute. The third option is termination of the license. So if the licensee violates the terms of the licensing contract, the licensor may choose to terminate the license and force them to close. This will prevent the licensee from continuing to use the licensed product or service, and it may include legal action to recover any damages. And then finally, the last option is mediation or arbitration. And this we also included in our contract as well. So mediation or arbitration can be used to resolve disputes between the licensor and the licensee. This involves the parties agreeing to use a neutral third party, and yes, you would need to hire and pay one, to facilitate a resolution. And those might all sound like great options, but guess what? All four of those options are extremely expensive and time consuming for both parties. What I wish I would have done is gotten a little bit more creative and put some resolution options in place to help resolve any issues that were not quite yet needing to be escalated to the courtroom or to legal, you know, lawyers and things like that. So, for example, I wish I would have pla- put a plan in place to transfer their website or social media responsibilities to a point person on their team should they fail to pay the quarterly fee. Or I wish I would have provided some other alternate solution that would not have resulted in us working for free, again, for years. So when you're going through this, I want you to look at every single requirement that you are outlining in your agreement and ask yourself, What should happen if this one specific line item isn't followed? And also, what if it's not followed just one time? What if it's not followed twice? And then finally, what if this line item is consistently not being followed? Or what if the licensee is found to be constantly and consistently in breach of contract in this specific area, not just in the contract in general? And this can seem like a tedious process to go through your licensing agreement line by line, but I promise you it's worth it, both in the short term and protecting yourself in that specific licensing agreement, but also protecting your you know, potential expansion um possibilities in the future, in the long term. And that brings me to my final mistake. Number four, our licensing agreement had no plan B for the licensee. So things happen. None of us are immune to the unexpected. I'm sure by now you've heard of the typical or excuse me, the hypothetical milk truck scenario, which in business means that hypothetically a quote unquote milk truck can take anyone out at any given time. And while the possibility of an actual milk truck coming and running us over is pretty slim, and sorry, that probably gave you a really morbid picture in your mind, but there are things that can come up that render us unable to continue operating our businesses. So maybe a spouse gets a new job out of state and you need to move. Or maybe there's a family member, maybe you know, an aging parent or someone like that. That requires more of your attention and time than anticipated. Or like it happened in my scenario, maybe there's a serious health challenge with the immediate family member of the licensee that makes it not possible for them to continue. And again, while I won't be giving any specifics here since it's not my story or business to share, the child of of this family, again, went through a very serious second health episode about two years after they opened, and he was actually inpatient in the hospital for months, and he was just too medically fragile to be mixed in with the general public, and it was at the point where not even the parents or other kids were comfortable being in a public setting, especially during a global pandemic, because, you know, God forbid they brought an illness or, you know, COVID or anything like that to the hospital, you know, They just were not willing to make that chance or take that chance. And we had no backup plan and they didn't either. And while I cannot even come close to issuing blame on them for quickly deciding that they weren't going to honor their contract and continue operating, I wish we had planned for these types of unexpected scenarios. So just to be clear, I would have done the exact same thing if I were in their shoes, but again, I wish that as the licensor, I would have put a plan in place had this happened or something similar. So for example, if there was a plan in place to give them some guidance around selling, subletting, or licensing out their space, maybe they would have seen a light at the end of the tunnel. And instead of simply closing up shop, they could have transferred their obligations properly to another interested family or business. And if you're wondering what happens when you break a commercial lease, there's actually six different scenarios that can occur. Some are much worse than others, some have much more serious uh ramifications to your personal finances and well-being and I actually have a YouTube video all about what happens when you break a commercial lease and I'm going to link to that in the show notes if this is a topic that you're curious about. But because now not only were they having to deal with breaking their lease, and the financial obligations and ramifications that come along with that process, we, we you know, the licensor, we were also left owed tens of thousands of dollars, not just from the original agreement, but also because we had actually sold them many of our business assets already, and we hadn't collected payment because we didn't know that COVID was coming, right? We didn't know that their child was going to have a second health episode. And I mean, luckily on our behalf, our lease was up at this point, but still there were so many plans and aspirations that just did not come to fruition because we just weren't prepared to navigate this. So in my experience, while it's difficult to anticipate or even think about these hardships, right? We never want to think about something bad happening to someone that we love. It's just completely necessary for both parties to do so. I can't stress this enough. All right. <laughs> this was a tough one, and it was probably, you know, a little bit more somber than some of my other episodes. But thank you so much for listening and getting through this tough topic with me. And if you have any questions or need anything clarified, please feel free to reach out to me on Instagram. And just to sum up, those four big mistakes that I made are number one, our licensing agreement lacked enough specifications around build-out and maintenance. Uh, Number two, I'm looking for it in my notes. Number two, our licensing agreement lacked support specifics. Number three, our licensing agreement was difficult to enforce. And then finally, number four, our licensing agreement had no plan B for either the licensee or the licensor. So again, thank you so much for listening. And your play of the day today is just to write these four mistakes down that I just reiterated here. Tuck them away in your Google Drive or a desk drawer somewhere. And if you ever decide to pursue licensing or franchising, pull them back out and you can hopefully avoid these crucial mistakes that I made that really had consequences that lasted years and years and had serious consequences for multiple businesses and families. All right, I will see you right back here on Wednesday with another more cheerful episode. So have a great week, playmakers. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, if you found this helpful, the best way you can show support for me or for the show is to leave a rating and review wherever you are listening. Have a great day. I'll see you Wednesday.